Good morning. Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning and dedicated to our mission. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. So let us greet the divine in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you say together with me the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Good morning, everyone. I'm Michael West. I'm your lay leader this morning. Our call to worship this morning is for Mary Oliver, Why I Wake Early. Hello, sun in my face. Hello, you who made the morning and spread it over the fields and into the faces of the tulips and the nodding morning glories and into the windows of even the miserable and the crotchety. Best preacher that ever was, dear star, that just happens to be where you are in the universe to keep us from ever darkness, to ease us with warming, warm touching, to hold us in the great hands of light. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Watch now how I start the day in happiness and kindness. When we gather in this church building on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday evenings, and all through the week, what we have are people who have roots and practices in almost every major world religion, including neo-paganism, secular humanism, staunch atheism. So what holds us together? Well, we have shared values which hold us together. We have work which holds us together. And in this congregation, we have a mission statement which um, we wrote on the wall and we say it every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our reading this morning is from Jessica York. The title is Gird Thyself. This is not a prayer that you may find hope. For hope is a luxury that some cannot find and others cannot afford. This is not a prayer that you find more love in the world. Though I hope you continue to feel love and send love to those near and far. I pray instead that you may find tools. A hammer lying half hidden in the grass. A roll of duct tape curled up and forgotten on a high shelf in the back of the garage. A wrench poking out of the back pocket of a stranger. Take these tools and gird thyself. A hammer for justice. Duct tape to hold together your broken heart. A wrench to grip and provide advantage in applying torque to turn an object. Or to turn the world. Take these tools and others you may find in places expected and unexpected. Take these tools and gird thyself. 
for weeping may last through the night, but the work begins in the morning. Now is the time in our service when we breathe deeply together to find an attitude of meditation and prayer so that we can pray to God as we understand God or listen to the wisdom inside ourselves or just watch our breathing go in and out. We pray not to let God know what is happening down here. We pray not to ask some divine parent to do something for us that he would not otherwise do. We pray to focus our intention to remember that we are not alone and to invite the mystery in. Let us enter the wise silence together. We pray this morning especially for the water protectors and those who are joining them in the snow in North Dakota. Our attention is on their efforts to resist in a dignified and nonviolent way, deeply rooted in spirituality. Our thoughts are with those Unitarian Universalists who are there with the UU clergy who responded to the call for chaplains. Our thoughts are with the vets who are pouring into the site to protect and defend the water protectors. We lift them up. We would see justice done. You are invited to light candles of joy or sorrow, hope or remembrance. Many of us have been coming to church in the midst of deep grief and recovering from shock about this election. And... It's not that the candidate we wanted lost the um, Electoral College vote, but it's more that we awoke to the fact that so many of our friends, neighbors, family members across the country could shrug off behavior that is, that is coarse and um, harsh and uh, ignorant and brutal and... Racist. They believed that a person who had no political experience could do the job. And we watch now as someone whose behavior disgusts us, uh, represents us on the world stage and blunders around disrupting the delicate balance among nations. And we fear we are afraid. It's hard to know what to do. And if we're not afraid, we're just sad and worried, and we don't know what to do. So in times like these, as I tell myself over and over again, and I tell you all, in times like these, we go back to basics. 
And the basics are, you know, the golden rule, our seven principles, the eightfold path of Buddhism, our own precepts that we live by, our core values. We go back to the basics. Take care of yourself, take care of your beloveds, take care of your neighbors, open your heart. It's hard. First of all, I want to say it's okay not to know what to do. It's okay not to know what to say. That's all right. It's a state of mind. It's a very fertile state of mind. Buddhist teachers often say, and I remind myself, pain is inevitable and suffering is optional. We, we tell ourselves stories about what's happening and... Um, we dump all kinds of stress chemicals into our bloodstreams over things that haven't happened yet, which is not a good use of our cells and our precious lives. We worry about so many things, and then the things that happen are things we didn't even think to worry about. This is not a failure in your worrying skills. <laughs> Many of us are quite sharp in that area. <laughs> we are galvanized, and yet we don't know what to do. And we are fearful, and yet we know we need to do something. And so many of us uh, are going out to stand with the water protectors in North Dakota. I'm not going. Um, but many of my colleagues have responded to the call for chaplains, and many of our um, UU people in, across the nation are, are going out there to, to just take their bodies there, to be a healer if they know how to heal, to be a chaplain if they know how to minister, to, to be a, a protector of the protectors if they know how to do that. So we're doing that. We, we are having a big march in um, Washington, D.C. on January 21st. And then there's a, an echoing local march in Austin on January 21st that many of us are going to. Um, we can do that. You can find out how to go with us to the detention centers to visit the women and their children who are imprisoned there. We're galvanized. Our second Sunday volunteer opportunities are starting up soon. Patty, when are they starting? Second, second, second Saturday in January is when the second Saturday volunteer opportunities are starting. That is Patty. Raise your hand. She's the one who's starting it. We also have um, a lot of action around being sanctuary church, and we're in the. We actually started the Austin Sanctuary Movement. There are 15 churches in it now, I believe. And there's an action called Sanctuary in the Streets that if you're interested in being part of that sanctuary movement, please um, gather your social courage and go into the gallery and go to the um, social action table and sign up. Don't waste your outrage. Focus it. I, I got outraged about a list of... <laughs> I got outraged about a list of liberal academics that's being compiled. 
and I thought, oh no, this is terrible. The government is compiling. And no, no, no. Um, I uh, I did a little extra digging, which now we know to do, so we don't get outraged about stupid stuff. Um, so we can be outraged about the real stuff, also stupid but real. Um, the list of academics is being compiled by a college kid asking other college kids to send in the names of professors who made them like talk about feminism and stuff. There are so many things to be passionate, engaged, and active about. I want to ask us, challenge us, pick two or three. You cannot be outraged about everything. I mean, you can, but it takes your whole time and your whole well-being. You just sit in front of the computer and shake with outrage. It's a 24-7 job. So you can go, that's not my issue, that's not my issue, that's not my issue, that's, this is my issue. These are my two, three issues. I'm going to get engaged, passionate, spend my energy on this. We have to be judicious how we spend our energy and our passion. We have to figure out whether the news we're outraged about is real. We're getting lots of instruction on how to do that on Facebook those of you who are not on Facebook, what do I recommend? Thank you. It's, it's, it's as if you are, are abstaining from the national conversation. You listen to your radio, that's great, but you can't, like, conversate with anybody, to use my, my son's word. You've got to conversate with other people of reasonable mind and spirit, people of goodwill. Don't waste your time with the trolls. So how do we, how do we move from being fearful to being alert without being fearful? That takes strength. Those of us who are Frank Herbert fans know fear is the mind killer. It's a fabulous quote. Many of us memorized it when we were 14. So we try to be alert and we try to be awake. And being awake means uh, seeing reality. Seeing the reality, if you're a white person, may be coming a little bit late. If you're a person of color, you may have seen the reality that there is a struggle going on and that half of America doesn't see racism as any kind of a big deal. Or, you know, it's a big deal, but it just means, you know, if you don't actually go beat up somebody, then you're not a racist. So we're, we're becoming awake to the fact that the struggle is going to go on and that we are going to be joining the struggle and that it's okay to have joy while you're struggling because the struggle doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It just means you're living, you're breathing in and out, and you're awake to reality. That makes it a struggle. Now, there is a, um, a third A word, since I'm alliterating this morning, um, to be alert, aware, and then to be active, to take action. One of our famous Unitarian theologians, James Luther Adams, who taught at Harvard, um, was, uh, was in his prime during the time of the Nazis. And he was very interested in American fascism. And he wrote extensively about how we can take action to ensure that fascism does not rise in America, in uh, the United States, the way that it did in Germany. 
And one of the things he says is the most powerful action that we can take is to be in voluntary organizations, like we're doing this morning, to gather with people who share your values and who want to act in similar ways to you. And he said, you go, you get involved in the grassroots, you go to party meetings, you knock on people's doors, whatever the party of your choice is, you knock on doors, you stuff envelopes, you encourage candidates, you write checks, you vote. Even the elections that aren't um, big and sexy, you vote for the grassroots local people who are going to be strongest uh, against ridiculousness. So how do you have the strength? I can say move from fear to alertness, awareness, action. How do you do that? Because it takes a lot of strength. And the reason that I'm talking about the basics, the Eightfold Path, our seven principles, is because following these things makes you stronger. The Eightfold Path is a practice. And the reason they call it a practice is it's not just a list of beliefs, but it's something that you actually practice and do. In any practice, it takes 10,000 hours to achieve mastery. I know uh, Ms. Diaz at the piano has put in 10,000 hours in order to play the way she does. Those of you who are musicians know how much practice it takes. Those of you who are athletes know how much practice it takes. Most of us know you have to practice. And that's what the Buddhist Eightfold Path is. It's a practice. Nobody says, you have to do this every day or you're a bad person. No, because that just sets you up for going, oh, I missed a day, bad person. Oh, well, try something else. So I've been talking about the Eightfold Path, and right now we've come to the element of the path called right action. Right action strengthens you. We talked last month about right speech. Next month we'll talk about right livelihood. Today it's right action. Okay. And the reason to act rightly is so that you can be happy and free. So that you can have a good life, a balanced life. Uh, Buddhist teacher Eric Kolvig says that basically we do our spiritual practice, meditation and ethical behavior. We do our spiritual practice to achieve two things. One is a clear mind, a mind with wisdom in it. And the other is an open heart, a heart that's capable of compassion. And I want to say, we are all really good at compassion and ethical living when we are surrounded by people we love and when we've had a good meal and enough sleep and there's gas in our tank and money in the bank and um, then we're, we're really good people. <laughs> but when any of that goes bad, when, when your parent or your kid or yourself gets a bad diagnosis or when you're scraping the bottom of the barrel financially and you're terrified or um, any number of other situations that life has to offer, um, it takes strength practice in order to stay balanced and do the right thing in those situations. So the Buddha gave us five precepts with which to experiment. He doesn't say do this or you're bad or you'll go to hell or whatever. He just says experiment with this, just experiment and see how it works for you. The first one says, aware of the suffering caused by violence I undertake the training to refrain from killing or committing violence toward living beings. I will attempt to treat all beings with compassion and loving kindness. 
And so we can start an intellectual discussion group about this and say, well, what about this? Or what about that? Or um, do you have to, in order to not be violent, do you have to become a vegan? Um, which some people say, yes, that's how it speaks to me. I need to do that. Um, but for most of us, we can go to a discussion group, but we can also start acting correctly by refraining from the violence that's pretty plain right in front of our face. So we don't um, hit each other. We don't kill people. We don't smack our kids around. We... Um, <laughs> still, still, the little sister is a pain. Um, we... We try to abstain from non from harming. We try to abstain, abstain from harming whatever our spirit and our conscience and our study and our meditation tells us that is for us. So we don't have to debate the finer points in order to start doing the more obvious nonviolent things. Does that make sense? Okay. I love the Dalai Lama. I love stories about him. Most of them are not true, but I love this story. Hope it's true. He was being interviewed, and um, the interviewer said, well, this non-harming thing, what if a mosquito landed on your arm? The Dalai Lama goes, yeah, but what if it landed twice? What if it came back and tried to bite you? <laughs> He's not a fundamentalist. <laughs> I like that. So non-harming. Number two, aware of the suffering caused by theft, I undertake the training to refrain from stealing, from taking what is not given. I will attempt to practice generosity and will be mindful about how I use the world's resources. Most of us aren't thieves. Um, if you are, try to stop. <laughs> But taking what is not given is something that many of us do pretty often. We take people's, we take advantage of people's goodwill. We take advantage of people's time. We talk to them longer than they want to be talked to, or we ask more of them than they want asked of them. We take things that aren't ours. And if we just ask ourselves, what might that look like? We'll get example after example. We try to practice generosity in our financial lives, in our, uh, with our time, with our energy. We try not to hoard. We try not to hoard our things or our money or our energy. Sometimes we hoard our energy so much, uh, speaking for myself, you go, I'm tired. I'm not going to go do that today. I'm, not, I'm just going to rest and do nothing. But you have a couple of days of resting and doing nothing, you get even more tired. So you have to not hoard your, and you have to spend it on something, like maybe I'll go to the gym, or maybe I'll go for a walk, or maybe I'll call a friend, and then you get less tired. You just have to figure out what works for you. Just watch what works for you. And we are mindful about how we use the world's resources. The water, the oil, the air. How do we use it? Are we doing something upstream that ruins the lives of people downstream? Can we, if we work in the oil industry, uh, lobby our 
colleagues to try to find pipes that don't burst. I know we need oil. Most of us drove here today, except for the really tough ones who rode their bikes. But really, we can send people to the moon and send things to Mars. Can we not make a pipeline that doesn't burst? I don't understand. Number three. This is so awkward. Aware of the suffering caused by sexual misconduct, I undertake the training to refrain from using sex in ways that are harmful to myself or others. I will attempt to express my sexuality in ways that bring joy and feelings of connection. So, there are lots of obvious ways to use sex wrong. To use sex in a harmful way, I mean. And there are lots of obvious ways to use sex for joy. So what is a misuse of sex? The Unitarian Universalists have a program called Our Whole Lives where we teach our children way more about sex than they even knew there was. Um, It makes the parents have palpitations. Just speaking for myself. And we don't say to people, you can't have sex unless you're married. But we do say sex is to be within the context of loving relationship, or at least friendship. And if you're already committed to someone, um, and you want to have sex with somebody else, you have to talk to this someone you're committed to and make some choices and changes. If you want to bring a third person into the relationship, or if you want to end this relationship and start another relationship. You just don't, you don't do that without talking to your person. And... I was a couples counselor for 15 years, so some of this is spilling out from that because I saw a lot of people use sex in the harmful ways, but mostly it was by withholding, withholding sex, saying, I'm not going to have sex with you until you get a better job, (laughs) or uh, I just don't feel like it anymore, and by the way, I don't want you to have sex with anybody else either, but I'm not doing it anymore. And then they get mad when the person does it with somebody else, even though they've cut that person off for like 15 years without talking to them about it. So there are lots of ways to use it as a bargaining chip or to use it as a weapon, or we just don't use sex in the wrong way, which includes we don't have, we don't, um, mindful of all the people and ages that are in the room, uh, we don't engage with people who are incapable of consent. So this is one way to have a happier life. Number four, aware of the suffering caused by harmful speech, I undertake the training to refrain from, refrain from lying. Or as some people call it, euphemisms. <laughs> refrain from harsh speech, from slander, and from idle speech. I will attempt to speak and write in ways that are both truthful and appropriate. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how different the last two years would have been on our televisions without lying, harmful speech, harsh speech, slander, and idle speech? To use speech, which is powerful, as a way to move people with truth, in love, to use Twitter as a tool 
for informing, entertaining, encouraging, raising the alarm, communicating. That is much to be desired, and it would make everybody have a happier life. Five, aware of the suffering caused by alcohol and drugs. I undertake the training to refrain from misusing intoxicants that dull and confuse the mind. I will attempt to cultivate a clear mind and an open heart. Now, some religions do forbid intoxicants of any kind. This one does not. This religion um, mostly acts as if being intoxicated is a human thing that people do uh, for relaxation and entertainment, whatever. But misuse of intoxicants means doing things uh, that require clear mind while intoxicated. Driving, uh, fighting with your spouse, parenting. You need not to be intoxicated while you're doing those things. Does that make sense? Okay. That makes so much suffering happen. And many of us in this room were raised with parents who did not parent while sober. And we understand the pain that that caused. So we do the right thing in order to be joyful and free. In order to have balanced lives. In order to be people who can offer in this culture at this time. In order to be a person who is a safe space. A person who carries a bubble of safety around with them. Not to say you won't challenge anyone, but to say you won't knowingly harm anyone or speak in the wrong way or act in a wrong, ridiculous way, destructive way. If we can practice until we are living, breathing, moving, safe spaces, that is going to be an enormously valuable contribution to our culture the way it is and the way it is going to be for a while now. So we take the right action, and if you don't know what the right thing to do in the large sense is, then you do the next right thing. What's the next right thing? Uh, the Zen uh, teachers say, chop wood, carry water. The Zen psychotherapists expand that to mean, um, if you are unable to get out of bed, uh, put one foot on the floor. Then put two feet on the floor, then make up your bed. Then make yourself some breakfast, then wash the dishes. Then sweep the floor. See? You've done eight right things. Feels pretty good. Maybe the right thing to do is to get some good medication for not being able to get out of bed. Talk to your doctor. How can we do the next right thing? Number one, you listen to the wisdom inside you. You listen to that little voice that we call a conscience. Almost 80% of human beings have one. If you don't have one... Then ask yourself, what would someone with a conscience do? <laughs> you ask yourself, how would you feel if somebody did this to you? Your basic golden rule. Every religion has one. You ask, is this fair? Is it harmful to me or others? How will I feel about myself and the world if I do this? Those are some simple questions. And as Unitarian Universalists who value action, we... Uh, can ask ourselves two simple questions. What am I doing? And why am I doing it? We like questions. 
If you give away some money, I hope it sets you free and makes you happy. If you make amends to somebody you've hurt or let resentments go towards somebody who's hurt you, I hope it sets you free and makes you happy. If you join many social activism opportunities, which we have here and there are all over town, I hope those set you free and make you happy. We need to stay alert and not fearful. We need to be awake and we need to take action together. We can say together the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee. in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.